But I found that growing up in the digital age has had a lot of perks. For those of you who have been living under a rock for the last 12 years, the digital age is basically the age of the smartphone, the age of the interwebs. Uh, I can access any document, any historical document that has been written in, since the beginning of human history. I can access any information at any time with the tips of my fingers. I can even become a master gardener over the weekend by watching a lots and lots of YouTube videos. Or I can even uh, go and get my cat fix in by watching hours of cat videos on YouTube also. I do that because uh, my significant other doesn't like cats. <clears throat> but also I found that growing up in the digital age has, has created a lot of issues. As we look at social media and, and overconsumption of social media, there's something that is true that is, that's happening in our society, and that's that people are having a harder time staying, and, and staying, staying focused. They're having a hard time with their attention. There's a growing number of adults who are experiencing ADD. We can't, we're, we're, we're constantly distracted. And we have our devices that are constantly telling us to uh, look at this. This is ingrained in our culture. Everything about our culture is saying that by now, this is the most important thing that you can ever have in your life. And so we're, we're told to have these things. We're told that we need these things in our lives. And so our attention is constantly being divided. Uh, I was in high school, uh, when, when I was in high school, I was watching a late night television show. I don't remember what it was, but I remember this commercial that came up and it was probably the longest 30 seconds of my life. It was loud, it was flashing, and it was like, buy now, buy now, buy now, buy now. And it was just sensory overload. And what it was trying to get me to do was trying to get me to buy. I don't even remember what it was trying to get me to buy. I just remember that. that. I'm just like, wow, I, I feel like I'm need a bath now. But with our notifications, with our, with our devices that are constantly interrupting our lives, constantly telling us to look at social media, we, we have this inability just to, to leave our phones at home, leave our phones away from us. And so, you know, we find kind of this stress and this anxiety when we leave our phone behind because we feel like we're out of the loop of what's happening. See, we found with the digital age that it's not necessarily the digital age, but it's something that, that we're just not able to focus on what, what truly matters. And so as we look at all of these, we see that we, we have the ability to binge watch entire episodes on Netflix. We can watch all of Stranger Things. And so under the right circumstance, certainly we can have focus where we can watch an entire season of Downton Abbey in an hour. Well, not in an hour, but in a day. But we, can, we have that focus. We have that ability to stay focused. It's just what are we setting our minds to? So the problem isn't necessarily that we can't focus. The problem is, is that our focus is divided amongst many things, and we're not able to focus on what truly matters. This is why, in part, that we've been studying the book of Colossians. As Christians, Paul has been telling us that we need to set our minds. We need to focus on who Jesus is. We need to know why he matters in our lives. Paul wrote this book to re 
orient believers to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of who he is. And he is written in such a way that through Colossians, we see that Christ is superior, that Christ is worthy of our worship, that Christ is worthy of all focus. And so Paul has been urging us to to be rooted, to be established in Christ, to grow in Christ, to worship Christ. And Paul has been clearly saying throughout the book of Colossians that Christ is who what really matters in this world. See, last week, Pastor Kevin noted a simple question that was posed to the Colossians in 2, 16 through 23. And the question was, what does spiritual maturity look like? It's kind of amazing now the people 2,000 years ago are still struggling with the same things that we are struggling with. And so Paul was, was addressing their curiosity of what growing in their faith looks like. He was addressing the curiosity of what activities that, that they do in, uh, in order to become more spiritual. See, he found that they focused or they had an unhealthy focus of, on, on methods of maturity, And the same is true for us today. While it looks different, we tell people that all you need to do is go to church, dress this way, sing this way, worship this way. And and so we are telling people this is what spiritual maturity looks like. And Paul's saying, no, that's not it at all. And so Pastor Kevin answered part of the question by explaining what Christian maturity isn't. You see, maturity doesn't come from religious rules or spiritual experiences, is what we saw last week. He stated that spiritual maturity only comes from holding fast to the person of Jesus. And so over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to start to see what spiritual maturity is, what it does look like. And so this is where we are this morning. So Christianity isn't a matter of following rules and regulations. Christianity is a matter of knowing who Jesus is. As we grow in our love and our knowledge of Christ, we will grow in our faith. And so Colossians teaches us that setting our mind on Christ allows us to live for what truly matters. All throughout this book, Paul has been pointing back to Christ. He's been telling us to think about Christ, to meditate on Christ, to hold fast to Christ, to be rooted and established in the gospel in Christ. Now he's telling us to grow in Christ. And so as we look at the next two chapters, we're going to see how we live in light of the resurrection. And so setting our minds on Christ means our focus and our attention is on him. We are living for, or living for what truly matters means that we have the perspective and and a value change. Paul's going to show us this morning how we set set our minds on Christ and we live for what truly matters. But the first thing we see this morning is that we live differently in regard to sin. Live differently by doing exactly what Paul says in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. I know some of you are looking at that D word. It's a little intimidating. Death isn't a word that we're very comfortable with. Death is something that conjures up a lot of mess, a lot of, of um, sounds uncomfortable, sounds unpleasant. Even talking about sin doesn't tend to bring us the warm fuzzies. 
But Paul's using this strong language to expose uh, the sin that's present in, in the church in Colossae. And we also need to recognize that sin is present in our hearts also today. And so looking at this, we, we first need to recognize the, this, the impact that sin has on our lives. And so we are responsible to kill the sin that is in our lives. That's, what, that's that command, put to death. We are responsible for that. But why do we do this? Because naturally, sin is divisive. Sin destroys, sin distorts. We see throughout all human history that when sin is entered in, disunity, problems arise. Just look back to the book of Genesis. When sin first entered the world, Adam's and Eve's relationship with, with Christ, with God, was broken forever. And so sin destroys, sin mars, and so sin is naturally divisive, and it's when it it's rooted in our hearts and in our minds, in the unseen parts of our hearts and our minds that we start to have issues. I lived in Spokane for four years. And uh, after it would rain in the springtime, there was a game that I like to call, How Deep Is That Pothole? And it was great fun, especially when you ended up replacing your front and rear axles in, in your car. Um, but where, where do these potholes come from? Clearly, I pay taxes. They should be filling these potholes all the time, and they should be taking care of them, and they do. I think one year we had over 3,500 potholes in Spokane alone. And so these potholes get there when water gets into the unseen or in the seen cracks of asphalt. And then water, what it does is it finds and it pools and it freezes when it gets cold, and then it expands. And so as it expands, it deteriorates and it destroys the asphalt and then it just it destroy it, it creates potholes. So at best, this water creates potholes. Sometimes potholes that big, sometimes potholes this big, and you never know how deep they are until you drive through them. Or at worst, they create sinkholes where they get into the gravel underneath the asphalt and they wash it away, and then you have this massive crater which where a road used to be. And so these potholes, these sinkholes, are completely destructive to roads and to cars and to people. Same thing happens with sin. Sin gets into the cracks of our hearts and our minds. Sometimes we see the sin coming a mile away. We know what our addictions are. We know what our vices are. We know that hanging with a certain group of people will cause us to sin. Sometimes we don't see the sin coming. Sometimes we begin that conversation with a friend who is not our spouse, and we begin just having friendly conversations, and they escalate and they grow into something else. We may not even see the small sins of anger that are taking root in our heart daily. And so... It's when we interact with people that our pride and our ego is, is rubbed and we become angry. You know, it's kind of sometimes interacting with that person who intentionally annoys you. Truth be told, I'm, I might be that person sometimes. Uh, with some certain coworkers, but I'm not going to tell you who. 
But it could be that coworker, that person who is annoying you, that person who's bothering you. It could be a spouse. It could be a neighbor. And it's when we allow our, the, the sin of anger to take root in our heart that it always starts small, but it becomes, it becomes worse as it grows. See, whether we see the sin coming or not, it is our responsibility to kill it. Sin always starts small. And if we leave it unchecked, it's going to spread its cancerous roots into our spiritual lives. Sin and cancer is, is uh, what cancer does and what sin does is very similar. So we can talk about the cancer of sin and we can talk about how, how it infects our body. It destroys our body. And so God is, is telling us that we need to root it out. We need to kill it. We need to put it to death for the simple reason that our spiritual lives with him is at, is, is, is at stake. Our relationship with other people is at stake when we allow sin to take root in our hearts. And so we see that it separates us from God. And because of that destructive nature, sin requires a drastic action. And this is why Paul is telling us to put it to death, because sin produces nothing good in us. It requires that drastic and extreme measure which is why Jesus came to die on the cross for us. It, he needed to die the death. He needed to pay the penalty of sin. He took all that sin on himself, and he has dealt with it. And so it is our responsibility to root out and destroy that sin in our life because Christ has already taken care of that sin on the cross. He's forgiven it. See, the sooner that we kill the sin in our lives, the less it has an opportunity to grow. So as we approach this list of sins to avoid, we need to recognize that this isn't an exhaustive list of sin. But it focuses on two aspects. It focuses on the internal and the external. And so the internal sins are the sins we commit in our heart and in our mind, whereas external sins are the sins we commit in word and deed. Both cases are sin. And both are going to require different strategies, different techniques, but the end result is that we are to put them to death. They are both to be killed. So it's easy to breeze through the list that we're going to see shortly and not be mindful of the present sin in our lives. It's easy to think of others. Well, this person needs to read this list right now because they're really struggling with that sin. Or it's easy to make comparisons, whereas, you know, I see the sin in my life, but it's Definitely not as bad as my neighbor. Definitely not as bad as my coworker. So it's easy to, to look at this list and, and compare it to other people. And I want to challenge you that when you approach not just this list of sins, but any list of sins that you stop and that you work through each item and you ask that the Holy Spirit would expose how this particular sin might be taking root in your heart. And so you are allowing the Holy Spirit to shed light into your heart, into your mind, and to reveal that sin. And so for the mostly internal list, Paul gives us five sins. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. And sexual immorality really refers to any and all sexual activity outside of the marriage a bond. And this includes pornography and its use and its addiction. But he goes on, he says, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
And so then Paul gives us a stern warning in verse 6. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, we look at the last book of the Bible, and it's a, a major theme of the book of Revelation is that God's wrath is being poured out against a sinful world. And so when we let sin rot in our bodies, it brings God's judgment on our lives. And we've all heard of those Christians who've had moral failures, who, uh, who, who failed in their, in, their, in their spiritual walk. And I want to guarantee you that none of them woke up in the morning and said to themselves, I'm going to morally fail today. All of them failed because they let sin grow in their hearts. They did not deal with the small sins that eventually grew into larger sins. So I want to contend that we are all equally susceptible to that when we don't kill our sins. And so the next list that Paul focuses on is, is on, etern- on external sins. He's, in verse 7 he says, In these you two once walked when you were living in them. Meaning, we are no longer that. We are no longer walking in these sins. Meaning that we are a different person. We are a different identity. And Paul is saying as Christians, we're not supposed to live like this anymore. And so here's the list. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Did you notice the command changes there? From put to death, he's now saying put off. And this second list deals specifically with how we live in the world with other people. We're going to get angry. We're going to have malice. We're going to have wrath. And Paul's saying, put them away. And he's also instructing us to not even allow our words to slander, to gossip, to complain about other people, or even be critical of other people. He doesn't list those here. They are found definitely in other lists of sin. But we're told to put away our anger, our wrath, our malice. Do you ever stop and just ask yourself, like, how many times a day am I getting angry? How many times a day are you annoyed? How many times a day are you just hot with anger? Probably the hot with anger is going to be minimal, but we are annoyed, we are irritated, we are bothered all day long. Probably for me, in the hundred range, I would say, on a daily basis. But really, we get angry about the stupidest little things. We've all been there, right? Driving down our road, belting out Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, and we get cut off by another driver. And so what do we do? Do we shake it off like Taylor Swift says? No, we don't. We honk at them in anger. We may even throw out one or two words at them that we wouldn't repeat with other people. And we may even point at them with a finger that's not our pointer finger. But you see what we did? We allowed our anger and we expressed it in three different ways to take over us. And here's the reality. That person who cut us off, they're going to forget it in five minutes and you're going to forget it in five minutes. You're not going to think about it, but you, in your anger, you have allowed it to take over you for just something that doesn't even matter. 
at all. And Paul is saying, put away that anger. Put away that. And so anger is one of those sins that makes us say and do the stupidest things. When we're in a fight with a spouse, that's when we say some really stupid things. I've been there. I'm sure many of you have been there also. But it also makes us say and do stupid things against other believers. When we've been wronged, when our pride has been hurt, we are very much more likely to talk bad about another person because of our anger. And so Paul is saying, put it away. Get rid of it. Put it to death. And so when we let that anger, that wrath, that malice fester in our hearts, we can never think anything good about another person. Have you noticed that? I was working for a gentleman years ago, and I hated him. It was a terrible job. And I found that the more that I would go into work with this irritated heart, with this angry heart towards him who was a believer, the less that I thought of him. I never thought that he was good, and I forgot that he's been created in the image of God. And so I needed to confess. I needed to repent of my sin of anger towards him. And as I was going into work every morning, I would pray, rather than, Lord, bring down judgment on him because I don't like him, I prayed that the Lord would bless him, that the Lord would grow him, that the Lord would take care of him. And I began to see that the more I did this, my heart and thoughts towards him began to change. Still didn't like the job, but I found that I could at least pray for him. I could at least respect him. And so, again, put that away. It is foolish and it is untrue to harbor anger and malice towards other people. And we put it away simply because of the fact that we are no longer that person. But you see the problem we've run into? We are told to identify our sin. We are told to kill sin. We're told to put off sin. And I'm sure many of you have been thinking through areas of your heart where the Holy Spirit has been exposing sin. It's what you do. As you read this, you're like, yeah, that's, that's where I am. We even see why our sin needs to be killed. We see our responsibility to kill sin. We even see the destructive nature of sin. But it leaves a question for us. How do we actually do it? See, in these verses, Paul doesn't tell us. But how do we actually remove sin from our lives? And here's the answer. We can only kill sin when we focus our hearts and our minds on above. Doing this naturally exposes the sin in our hearts. While Christ has died for us, Christ has cleansed us from all sin, we still have that remnant of sin in our hearts. We need to take care of it. But notice what Paul says. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. I love how Paul starts stating this reality. Since we've been raised with Christ, we live differently. And over the course of the next two chapters of Colossians, we're going to see how Colossians, how we live differently in light of the resurrection. This is Paul's turning point from talking about Christ. Now we're going to be living for Christ. And we're going to be seeing that throughout the rest of Colossians. 
But we live differently. We've been raised with Christ. And so it raises a very important question. If we've been raised with Christ, what did we die to? Just look back at Colossians 2.13, and it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against it with its legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we can only kill sin in our lives because Christ has already conquered it. We can only have a real battle against sin because it's already been forgiven through Christ. And so we've died to our former life. We've died to our former self. We are no longer characterized by sin. We are characterized by life in Christ and we can only kill sin because it's possible, or killing sin is only possible because Christ has killed it first. He's dealt with it first. And since we've been raised with Christ, look how Paul finishes this thought. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so Paul is, again, giving us two commands. He's saying, seek and set what is above. And just for simplicity, I'm going to make that into one command just to easier see what Paul is doing. He's telling us to set our hearts and minds on Christ. Since we've been resurrected with Christ, our lives are to be dominated by the things above, by, by heaven. This doesn't mean that we always just think of what's happening in heaven but this means that we look at the world that we live in now and we ask the question, how does this have eternal perspective? How does this have eternal king or, uh, realities? I love an illustration that Francis Jan had a few years ago. He had this massive rope, and he had a little bit of this rope, about four inches that was red, and the rest was white, and you couldn't see it. And he says, this is eternity, and what we do on earth impacts eternity. And so he's telling us that our minds need to be reoriented because of the fact that we only live on earth for 80 years, but we have the rest of eternity to think, think about. Setting our minds on Christ means that we have that eternal perspective while living on earth. And it means our perspective needs to change. means that our values need to change means that we need to recognize that Christ is working in our lives and through our lives. It doesn't mean that we reject everything in our world in pursuit of the spiritual. This is exactly what the Colossians did, and this is exactly what Paul was telling them that they needed to avoid. And so for us, as we look at this passage, looking at this thought, we are living in earth, but we are, minds are in heaven and so it really gives us different motivations, different perspectives. And we need to look at the people of earth through the lens of heaven. And it means that we just root out our earthly values, our earthly concerns, our earthly worries in our lives. And honestly, like personally, I don't take many pictures because I just suck at them. But my iPhone doesn't. 
So I take good pictures with my iPhone, and it, it puts in focus what I want the picture to be of, which is mostly my kids. But it focuses on what's important, on what I want. You want to know where your mind is at? You want to know where your mind is set? Where your focus is? Look at your life. What do you value? What consumes your mind from the moment that you wake up to the moment that you fall asleep? What are you thinking about? This is a good indication of of where your values are. Do you think about your kids? Your spouse? The school you're going to or the school that you will go to? What job you are working or what job that you are going to get to pay the bills? How about money? Do you love money? Do you love the idea of money? Do you love having money? Do you want to be popular? Do you want to be well-liked by people? Are you worried and concerned about that new terms and service of that new app that makes your face look old? Clearly, these things cause us worry. They cause us stress, but there's more to life than worry. We can also just be focused on getting that new truck. We can get focused on getting new things. We can focus on so many different things in our life that isn't of Christ. And Paul is telling us that all, our, all of our thoughts, all of our minds need to be on Christ. But regardless of what, what consumes our minds, our thoughts eventually become words, and our words eventually become actions. Do you see how that works? Because life begins and is rooted in our thoughts. What we do is almost always a reaction to how we think. We live in a world full of distractions. And so I want to say this. What controls your mind controls your life. What controls your mind controls your life. So why, this is why Paul is telling us that our minds need to be set on Christ. Our minds are not created to think and dwell on the things around us. Our minds are created to think and dwell on the one who created our mind. Our, we need to be, we've been created to focus and set our minds on Christ. Our brains need to be reoriented to what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Thinking about those things looks like this. It looks like we are coming to Christ daily in prayer, daily in, 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 in reading his word. We are asking him for help with our issues in our day, with our interpersonal problems, with, with our worries, with our future. We are seeking to hear his voice because we are sheep and he is our shepherd and we are going to him. We are opening our ears to hear from him. We are opening his word to know him, to hear from him. We are praying. We are thanking him for the work that he's doing in our lives. And so there's multiple ways that we can set our minds, we can rethink about Christ. 
And so for some of us, maybe we just need to go back, go back to who we used to be before we knew Christ. And we need to maybe set up pictures of who we were before we knew Christ for some of us who've come to know Christ as older in, older in our lives. Maybe a picture of a certain time with, with a scripture that says something like, great is God's faithfulness, his mercies are new every morning. Or maybe something that talks about his mercy, his grace, and, and we have that in a place where we see. And we are reminding ourselves who we used to be so that we can give glory to God for the future. It's kind of a thing that we see in the Old Testament where he commands his children to set up memorials where they are to remember his faithfulness and they are to teach that to their children. Maybe it also looks like being intentional to remove daily distractions in your life, daily distractions, and and maybe it looks like setting a reminder on your phone that if uh, when you are going into a difficult meeting or you know that you're going to have a difficult interpersonal communication where you are, are um, setting a reminder in advance to pray before you go in. Maybe it looks like you are going into your battery usage and see what apps you are spending a lot of time on on your phone or on your devices. And it is going to expose that, but just do that knowing that you are rooting something out to put Christ in. Maybe you can even find a Bible reading plan that pops up a notification on your phone and tells you to read it, that you have to engage with it. Maybe another reason, another thing that you can do to root out daily distractions is just to be intentional to set apart time in a day or even a whole day where you are not looking at social media. My wife and I are going to actually start doing that today, so I'll let you know how that goes in a few weeks. But we are setting Sunday aside where we are not going to be looking at social media. This means for me, no cat videos after church. <laughs> but, but we are intentional to create this time where we are engaging each other. We're engaging our children and we're engaging our world all with the purpose of enjoying what Christ has created. This is some of the things that we do to retrain our minds to to look and see what Paul has mentioned in Philippians. You see, the focus of our faith, of our lives, needs to be solely on the person of Jesus. We need Jesus every hour, every day. We need him for strength. And we need him because he's our life. Paul tells us that we can truly live because of Christ. Look at verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Colossians needed to be reminded of the fact that they are with Christ now. And we are with Christ now also. We need that reminder. And so setting our minds on Christ allows us to live for what truly matters by turning to Christ, by recognizing our need for him, by rooting our sin, and then we can live in the new life of, of unity. But let's continue in verse 9. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As followers of Christ, we must be governed by honesty, integrity, and truth. We do this 
Because Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life, and we are emulating him, and we are living with other believers and other people in this world. Back in verse 8, Paul started this imagery of, of clothes, put off the old, the, the old self. And here in verse 9, he comes back to it to explain its imagery. And it's all about identification with Christ. Think of who you were before you came to know Christ. Think of what you valued. Think of what you thought of the world, what you thought of other people. Think about what you, what you did And so, coming in Christ, we recognize that our perspectives have changed. For all of us who are in Christ, our perspectives are newer than they used to be. They're different. Our values have slowly shifted. What we thought was of worth and value before, we really don't care about it anymore. And so, we have this new identity in Christ And so part of this new identity is that we are being constantly renewed, regenerated by the Holy Spirit in our mind. And Paul is telling us that the Christian life is a process. If we wake up some morning and we find that we are perfect and that we are sinless, we actually aren't on earth anymore, we're in heaven. But the Holy Spirit is walking alongside us and regenerating us in our new identity. He's given us new clothes. He's revealing sin in our life, and we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are being made more and more like him every day. And so the reality is, is this is what's happening with us, is who we were yesterday isn't who we are today, and it's not who we're going to be tomorrow. This is all because of the Holy Spirit in our lives, working alongside with us. And so, setting our minds on Christ, becoming more like Christ, is just start with just being intentional to make Christ first, reflecting on him, and then also killing sin in our lives. But here's the kicker, and something that we often easily overlook. Just as much as Christ is working in your heart, he's working in other people's hearts also. And so the same work Christ is doing in you, he's doing in others. And only underscores our need for Christian community. If you're not convinced that Paul is stressing living in unity or in Christian community, look at verse 11. He says, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, slavian, or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, one of the marvelous truths about Christianity is that it demonstrates spiritual growth isn't based on human experience. It isn't based on education. It isn't based on wealth. It isn't based on status. Spiritual growth isn't based on gender or on race. Spiritual growth is based solely on knowing who Jesus is, loving Jesus, and loving his people. I love one of the things that we say at Restoration. It doesn't matter if you live on a hill or under a bridge. It doesn't matter if you drive a Lexus or a Geo Metro. It doesn't matter if you slept on a comfortable bed last night or a piece of cardboard. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, male, or female. We all have equal access to Christ. And it's through Christ that we belong to Christ, and we belong to each other. That's what Scripture teaches us. 
But we see that the barriers and ethnic divisions are broken in Christ and that we are all one in Christ. And we are all to use our gifts, whether they be financial, social, or spiritual, to serve and aid other members in the body. We need to recognize that Christ himself instituted the church in the book of Acts. That Christ has died for the church, that Christ has commissioned the church, that the church exists because of Christ. And so the immediate implication is that it shows our great need for other Christians. Paul has already been telling the Colossian church to hold fast to the head who is Christ. And so with the head implies that there's a body and we are the body of Christ. And so in setting our minds on Christ, we naturally have a deep love for Christ and we have a deep love for his church and other Christians because God loves people. God loves his church. We need each other to challenge each other to set our minds on Christ. We need each other for community. We need each other for friendships. We also need each other to uproot sin in our hearts. One of the things we see throughout Scripture is that sin can't hide in community. And so the more that we are in community, the more that sin can't fester, the more that sin can't dwell, because people see sin in my heart, and they are able to call me out in love, and I am able to deal with it. This is why we need community. And so, well, actually, one of the many reasons is that restorations, we promote life groups. We promote Christian community in our life groups. The Sunday morning is good for us to worship, to come together, to hear the word, but we need each other for the rest of the week. We need each other to, to, be pray, to pray for one another. We need to be challenged in our faith. We need to be motivated in our faith. We need to be encouraged some days when we just have had a hard day. We need to love and care for each other on an individual basis. But again, this idea that sin can't hide in community, and so we need each other for accountability. And for some of you, that may be an awkward time where you are getting to know people, you're getting to put up with people's idiosyncrasies, probably mine. But you are, you're, there's an awkward period where you're getting to know people, and it's not always fun at first. But I want to encourage you just to stick with it, because the longer you stick with it, the more that these people are going to be your friends. And I can honestly say my closest friends have all come through different life groups that I've been in. And it's this community that we have. And so we see that church is about Christ. Church is not, uh, or church is about building or experiencing others or encouraging others for, in the love of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a life group or if you're not part of a Christian community in where you live, I want to challenge you just to, to seek that out. There are certainly more ways to live a new life in unity, but these two specific ways are how we, are, or this is how we help set our minds on Christ and we pursue Christian unity. Setting our, setting our minds on Christ means that we never grow beyond the simple truths of the gospel. We never grow out of our need for Christ starts with our mind and it ends with how we live. And of course, over the next two weeks, we're going to see how we live in light of the gospel. But I love what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, uh, or people said this about him, they said if he was ever pricked with a needle, he would bleed Christ. This means that he was so saturated with the person of Christ, he was so saturated with the word 
that nothing could stop him from keeping his mind set on Christ. For us, setting our minds on Christ means that we are meditating on the truths of Scripture. Love what the psalmist says. He says, uh, be I, you know, like a tree planted by a stream of water, meaning that it will never be uprooted, it will never be taken out, and that stream of water is Christ. Our lives are to be in and so inundated with Christ that we look like Christ, that we smell like Christ, and if people were to prick us, we bleed like Christ. So there's a lot of different ways that we can do it, but I think for us, starting with, this, starting with a gratitude journal, starting with how Christ has worked in our hearts, and, and just being thankful for the work that God has done in our hearts. Uh, I was talking with someone not too long ago, and she says that at the end of every day, she thanks God for five things. Some days it's hard. Some days it's harder to... to just to be thankful with everything that's been going on. But this idea of thankfulness, gratitude, is allowing us to see that it's God's hand working in our lives. And so setting setting our minds on Christ means that we identify with the people of God also. And so we pray for others. We pursue community. We pursue and we pray that Christ would continue to growing in them, growing in their hearts. And so setting our minds on Christ allows us to live for what truly matters. We talked about sin, and there's so, so many different ways to root out sin, but I think if, we want, if we're setting our minds on Christ, we need to first recognize and, and own up to our sin. We need to call our sin what it is. We need to confess the destructive nature of our sin. And in doing so, we are able to see what Christ is able to do, and we're able to trust him to root it out, to kill it. While we are responsible for the action of killing it, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the killing. So we are reliant and depending on the Holy Spirit. And so setting our minds on Christ allows us to live for what truly matters.